itself situated here. If I were to ask you a question, don't answer out loud because there's too many of you. But if I were to ask you, how could you guarantee you could ace your next job interview? Would you have any answers? You know, in Hong Kong, we're known for a lot of things. We're known for our pride at being fairly busy. We're known for moving around from job to job an awful lot. We're known for most of you being bi, tri, or quadrilingual at the very least. I'm not sorry about that. But in the grand scheme of things, we're also known to be a people that often are desperate for whatever the next thing is. Are we not? For instance, some of you have the prized possession in your hands right now. It's called a gold iPhone 6. Some of you, if we're really honest with ourselves, waited in line at Festival Walk, Heisen Place, IFC, until you got said gold phone, correct? Don't answer. We're always waiting for the next big thing. And when we get to a job interview, and if they offer us the job, what are we looking at? We're looking usually at a couple of scenarios. One, is this job enough to provide for what I think I need and want? That's that's a fair question. Is it going to provide? The second question then that we look at often is, will this job help me get the job that I really want? And we've already then moved on to whatever's next. And in a lot of ways, that can be a very good thing. But it also kind of defines an epidemic of who we are societally. We're a people that has placed our roots so firmly in this world we find ourselves in. We've forgotten the truth of the gospel message. And that is Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised again, victorious for sin once for all. This morning, and hopefully a little bit of time, I want us to look at a right perspective on life so that if you come out of a job interview, whether you get the job or not, you know you ace the job interview that matters most of all. That your life has eternal value. That your life has purpose that is far greater than how many zeros come after, your number, after that first digit in your retirement fund. So let's open our hearts in prayer And then let's dive into what the Lord has for us this morning. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we are invited to live with eternity in view. I ask this morning that my words would be few and that yours would be powerful and transforming and that we would walk out of here with eternity in view, being transformed by the renewing of our mind and the transformation of our heart. We love you, Lord. Amen. Well, today we finish our series on the gospel in life. And when we began the series, we talked about the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospel meaning good news. And the good news is that God had a plan. He created us. In so creating us, he gave us the choice and we chose wrongly. We chose to sin. We chose to be marked by that sin. And we chose to give into the lies and the deceit of Satan. And that has marked us. We are, as we're told in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God didn't stop there. He had a plan not only to deal with us because God is a just God as we discussed, but he's also a God that is righteous and invites us into that righteousness. And he did that in an amazingly powerful way. 
through his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son who knew no sin to be sin for us. And his son died on the cross and rose again victoriously, not having sin, but paying the price, the sacrifice for us, the perfect way for our sins to be provided for, to be washed clean. And in so doing, we find out that our lives can be transformed, that we don't have to live caught up in the identity of a sinner, that we can live knowing we have right standing before God, that he has made a way for us to enter into an eternal relationship with him. And as we do that, we realize that this great news has to be lived out. We can't keep it to ourselves. We shouldn't want to keep it to ourselves. And we want to go through life living as I said just a minute ago, with a bigger purpose in view. Because I want to tell you a secret today. Your life is bigger than your job, your kids, or your money. In Christ, our life has eternal, unfathomable value. But God, in his rich mercy and great love, invited us to obey his word and to live out his law. One, so that we might have big lives. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. But not only that, but he calls us to obey him and invites us into a relationship with him that then draws others into that walk and into that journey. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we get really good at being comfortable with our salvation that we forget that our salvation isn't meant just for us. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost for the glory of God and the Father. And sometimes we forget that there are lost people right next to us and all around us. But God is a God of justice that says, I've provided a way for you. And that way, as we're going to look at today, is eternal. Eternity is a hard thing to think about. I just had a birthday 10 days ago, and I'm beginning to feel my age a little more than maybe I did in my 20s. And I'm now close to 40, as the staff reminded me. And that's all fine and good. I'm not old by any stretch. But as somebody wrote on one of the birthday cards I received, you're halfway to death now. (laughs) And so you begin to think about that. And I don't know, based on all the injuries I've had in my life, if I make it that long, I've done well. But as we think about it, We get awfully good at storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth. And I do that. You know, I want to make sure, as we talked about a few weeks ago, I want to look the part of Pastor Mike. I want to make sure I can keep as many of you happy as possible. I want to do all these things to please you. But should that be my grand ambition in life? Well, if I'm selfish, yes, because if I really think about it, My family is sustained by your obedience to God by giving to the local church. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And so selfishly, I want you to like me so you give money to the church so that I can pay the staff. But that's not the point. You see, the church has a much bigger role than your pastor, than his family, and than what goes on right in this room. The church has an eternal role of participating in the kingdom of God that is already here, but yet not yet consummated. In other words, Jesus Christ already came, but he's coming again. And when he does, he's bringing with us a whole new world that restores us. If you want more detail on this, 
Talk to Pastor Dan, because he just did a great job teaching on this this morning, and it's wonderful how God's timing works. So those of you in Multiply, you're getting the Cliff Notes version now. Okay? Those of you that weren't in Multiply, go to Multiply next time. But here's the deal. God says that through his son, he is making all things new. And that we can look forward to that with great expectation. With great anticipation that this isn't the end of it all. Because here's the thing. Look around the world. You don't even need to look around the world. Look around Hong Kong. You don't even need to look around Hong Kong. Look around the room. We live in a broken time. If I did something simple and asked you to stand up, for some of you that might be difficult because your bones are achy, because you're sick, because you're not feeling well, because there is just too much pain in your body and you can't physically get up. What if I told you that those of us in Christ look forward to an eternity when none of our bones ache anymore? If I asked you to greet one another warmly, as Paul taught us, maybe not with the holy kiss. Some of you might be uncomfortable by that. But if I asked you to greet each other warmly, some of you might have a hard time because somebody else in the room has hurt your feelings and you can't let that go. But Jesus Christ practiced the ministry of reconciliation and for all eternity we are invited into right relationships with God through Jesus Christ and with one another. That you can put your arm around that person that's hurt you and said, by grace, we are both set free. It is by grace through faith that we have been saved. And as we think about that, and we think about the eternal life God invites us, I've got to go back to how we finished last week. Why do we worry so much about the things of this world? As we're taught, the things of this world, well, they're passing away. We're invited as you read the scriptures. I have had so much fun preparing for this message because this whole book points to great, great, amazing, wonderful and powerful things, starting with the person of Jesus Christ and finishing with all of eternity, enjoying a relationship with him. I would think that would get us excited. But you are all very sleepy. It's a dark room and it's overcast outside. So I'm going to be excited for you. And in the end, I hope maybe you're a little bit excited about what God has promised for us. Because as we open up his words, we look at some amazing things. Back in the 1800s, a guy named D.L. Moody walked the earth. And he is a famous, famous evangelist. The joke is that that guy could walk up to a tree and lead it to Jesus Christ. The word of God was so richly a part of him that whoever you were, he wanted to tell you about the love and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But as he thought about death, just listen to his perspective on life and on death. Someday you will read in the papers. Remember back in the olden days, we had these things called obituaries. When you go to your home country or home village, wherever that is, you open up the news newspaper to see who died. Well, this is what D.L. Moody's talking about. He says, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield, that's Illinois in America, is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, 
that sin cannot taint a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. You see, D.L. Moody got the perspective right. D.L. Moody wasn't just thinking that this world is all there is. He remembered that this is just a foretaste of what is yet to come for those of us who are in Christ. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to remind us of something. Because there's two ways that the world can look at eternity right now. For those of us in Christ Jesus, this world we find ourselves in, is the closest thing to hell we will ever experience. Let me say that again. For those of us in Christ, this fallen and broken world is the closest thing to hell we will ever experience. Because we have eternal life guaranteed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, flip it. For those of us who don't know Christ, and just go ahead and think about the state of the world we're in for a second. Not a great time to be alive in a lot of ways. Yes, we have the internet. That's wonderful. Yes, we have technology. But our world is very broken. And in so doing, we realize that for those not following Jesus Christ, this broken, beaten up, polluted world is the closest thing to heaven they will ever experience. Now for us in that room, that statement must terrify us. It must make us consider our neighbor's and whether or not they know Jesus Christ. Because I can really dislike a person, but the person I dislike most, I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head, I still don't want that person to suffer eternally in the bonds of hell, separated from the God of love. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I want to live with an eternal perspective that D.L. Moody understood. Listen to what he finished that quote with, and this isn't up there, couldn't fit it. He says, I was born of the flesh in 1837. I could replace that. I was born of the flesh in 1977. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. And then if you flip in your Bibles to John chapter 3, Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders of the day, sneaks out because he didn't want the wrong people to know that he was talking to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus and very quietly, he says, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And thus begins Jesus teaching that for God so loved the world that all who believed in him would have eternal life. Now that's a summary. We'll get to the whole thing in a few minutes. But do we know that? And do we live it out? And has it changed our lives that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son? Or do we trudge through life thinking, I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. All is good. Because if the gospel is true, then we will be transformed by the work of Jesus Christ. And we won't be able to help but invite others into that journey. See, God, as we look ahead to eternity, as we look ahead to what he's promised for us, we are not creating our own kingdom. Think about the Tower of Babel. If you remember that story in the early parts of Genesis, all of humanity got together and said, we don't need God. 
It's a, history, a historical trend that we find ourselves in where we keep thinking that we know more than God. Well, with the Tower of Babel, they figured they could just build a kingdom on their own and they didn't need God anymore. And it didn't go so well for them. And it eventually dispersed them into all the world because they forgot who is the source of glory and perfection. Paul says that what's happened to humanity is that we worship the created thing rather than the creator. Let's go back to one of my favorite illustrations. You know I like cars, right? I like fast cars. I don't have one, but I'd like one. And I would love to be able to get behind the wheel of a McLaren. Why? Because artists didn't design that car. Engineers did. That car has so many technical advances to it that you can't even, you have to read an instruction book to drive it. But when you drive it, it goes and it turns and everything is balanced just perfectly. And someday I would love to drive that car. But see, I'm worshiping the created thing. Why wouldn't I worship the God who allowed that to be invented and says, I can do better because that car will break down. God never breaks down. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He promises to be with us. He promises to guide us. Remember the call to worship this morning? Listen to who God is for all eternity and what he promises this new world is going to be like. He says, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Now think about for this second, because that doesn't work scientifically, because our God is bigger than science. Now, I know that's an unpopular thing to say. But the same God that breathed this world into existence doesn't need a dying sun to keep us lit. He says, I'll be all the light you'll ever need. He says, I will light your path. I will be your light and I will be your glory. And the inherent meaning there is that you can bask in the glory of me. You don't have to look around and think, wow, I wish I was as good as that person. No, because we are all sitting under the worship and the glory and the purpose of God. And he says there is nothing better. It's perfect. Are any of you perfect? No, not yet. But when Christ returns, he will make all things new. You got a bad heart? the valves all work the way they're supposed to. You got a bad stomach and digestive tract and causes you to lose all sorts of weight, it'll work the way it's supposed to. You've got broken relationships, they'll be reconciled through the work of Jesus Christ. All things will be made new and we will enjoy the glory of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Not for a little while, for all eternity. And I don't have time to explain all the verses in the Bible that talk about how great this is going to be. There's going to be golden streets. There's going to be wonderful mansions for us. I don't know what mine's going to be like. I'm hoping for a log cabin with lots of trees and a big yard. And there's a song that goes with that from the 90s. But I'm looking forward to that. But I know that my mind can't even comprehend an infinitely small bit of how great the glory of God is going to be and how he takes care of us. 
Because it's not going to be about us. The perspective changes. We keep getting caught in this world thinking we have to make this world about us. And we've lost sight of what God promised the people of Israel all along. That I'll be with you. That I will guide you. Follow me, obey me, and bring glory to my name. That is the right way to live, both now and forevermore. You see, as God taught the Israelites, as God taught all of the world, eternity with God is to be sought after. Ecclesiastes teaches us that we all have eternity in our hearts. Okay? We all have it there. Pascal would say that we've got a God-shaped hole in our lives that nothing in this world can fill. But one thing, the person of Jesus Christ. Only he can make us whole. Only he can provide meaning to this broken world we find ourselves in. And what happens is when we realize that he sought us first, it causes us to seek what is truly important. His kingdom and all his righteousness. You know, there's a verse that says something about that through the mouth of Jesus. Seek ye first his kingdom and all his righteousness will be added unto you. I could seek all sorts of things. I could go back and try to get that car and save up all my money and forget about my kids and all that stuff. And it would still not be anything compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. We seek after the kingdom of God. We seek after him because he sought after us. Look at what the verse says that Jeanette read so well just a few moments ago. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, we've got to put this into perspective because if you go back to the Greek, which is Good thing to do here. You need to understand that the dwelling place there can be translated as a word we might recognize from Old Testament and Hebrew times. Tabernacle. You see, when God was rescuing his people, when God was taking his people to the promised land, that they were then going to be his light in a dark world, didn't work out so well for the people because they chose not to obey him. But he promised that he would be with them all the time. And to show that, he had them build something. Do you remember what it was called? That too, but he promised, where is my presence going to be? In the tabernacle. And that would move with them in which the ark was contained. And then there was a pillar of what by day? Pillar of cloud by day? And an ark of fire by night? And he led them every step of the way. Now you go all the way to the other end of your Bible. So you start at the beginning and you follow the consistent God all the way through the end. And by the way, this is repeated throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, the the New Testament, the apostles repeat this time and again. He says, the dwelling place of God is with man. He is bringing glory back down to where it was intended to be, with us. Sin has lost its grip on us when Christ returns and makes all things new. Death has lost its sting. We have nothing to fear anymore because God will make his dwelling place with man for all eternity. And that should get us excited. Think about this. 
When the Israelites had lived in the wilderness after the Exodus, God's presence was evident through the tent. And the guy that wrote this says later on that he would provide a permanent remedy to deal with their sin. It wouldn't be just sacrifices anymore. That the dwelling place of God would be perfect. How do we know that? Well, if you flipped in your Bibles to John chapter 1, what do we read in 114? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And in so doing, He began the journey of the perfect sacrifice that it would allow us to look to eternity, that would allow us to enjoy eternity in a right standing, in a right relationship with God. About four years ago, we were trying to finish up the construction of this room, of making it worthy uh, as we could of a place to worship God and come together. And we were talking about a stage. And often if you go onto church stages, they can be rickety and you wonder if you're going to fall through. But when I get on this stage, I know what's underneath this stage. Big, wrought, cast iron beams that weigh a ton. And I know the engineer that designed it, and he made sure the thing is bomb-proof. It's earthquake-proof. It is everything-proof. And it's made to have carts go in and out of it. And it is solid. I know that when I am up here, I'm not falling through. As you see at the top of your notes today, do we live with that confidence in Christ Jesus? That our eternity will be spent enjoying Him forever? Are we so confident in that, that He guides every aspect of our life? That we seek after His righteousness, not our own? That we seek after His will, not our own? That we understand that He's coming back, and when He does, He's going to fix this broken world. And our role while we're here on earth is to be prepared and to bring others with us and to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the opportunity to invite others into the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Or are we distracted? Are we consumed by office politics? Are we consumed by global geopolitics? Are we consumed by family, by friends, by money, that we forget that we are to seek Him first. And all of it will be added to you. He promises us that He's got us covered. In this world we will have troubles, but take heart, He says. I've overcome the world. I've got your back. I probably talk about it too much, but it was this, one of the scariest things I'd ever endured, and that was last April when I got admitted into the hospital for something simple until it wasn't. And I remember one night, I, the fever came back. I don't even remember all that went on. By the time they calmed me down, I was pretty happy with painkillers. But before that happened, I remember just being terrified, honestly. Not so much of dying, but thinking to myself, I haven't finished. And with as many people running around, I knew that something wasn't right. Something was going wrong with my body. And in that journey, I remember praying, Lord, I'm excited about eternity, but I don't think Melissa is ready for me to go yet. I blamed her. She's not here. She's upstairs with the kids, so I'm safe. And I I began to think and to count all the things in this world that my agenda said had to be finished. 
And then for whatever reason, probably because I was well taught, all I could think was, rest in me. Be still and know that I am God. And as I did that, far more than a painkiller could do, I was able to rest. I didn't get better right away. It took another week and a half before I got better. And they still don't know what's wrong with me. (laughs) Lots is wrong with me. But in that moment, I remember thinking that, God, you've got a plan. Why am I so worried about tomorrow? It'll take care of itself. Why can't I look forward to what you have for me wherever that is, this side of eternity or the good side of eternity? Because as much as I love any single being or thing on this world, it's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And when I get to eternity with him, it's going to be great. I'm not going to wonder how he worked out everything scientifically because I'm just going to love spending so much time with him. Because he knows me, he created me, and he's got a plan. And I can't wait to sit and talk to him face to face with my new body. I'm thinking I'm going to be taller. (laughs) And I can't wait to see what he has for me. But that's not the whole story. You see, we finish with the fact that knowing that we live for eternity begs the question of are we preparing ourselves and others for that eternity right now? Why is this such a big deal? Well, the trumpet call of Alliance International Church is that we will glorify God by loving Christ, loving one another, and reaching the world. Well, here's the deal. We bring glory to God by obeying Him and teaching others to do the same. Go into all the world and preach the Gospels, making disciples of all nations. And as we do, that honors God. And so I am passionate about my time here on earth that I will do everything in my power with our church team of elders and pastoral staff and staff and lay people that we will send all of you out to make disciples of all nations wherever you find yourselves. Why is it so urgent? Because Jesus Christ himself says that in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I love you, but I would much rather love you on the other side of eternity. So get to work, please. Because if we do our job, he's coming back. And I would like him to come back sooner because I don't like being sick all the time. I don't like being tired. And I don't like the brokenness and the cruelty that is in this world. But while I am here, there is nothing more important than making sure that you and your loved ones can enjoy the journey of growing with Jesus Christ along the way for all eternity. Do you get me? We are not just called to prepare ourselves for eternity. We're called to invite everybody with us. You all went to primary school. There was always that one kid, right? That one kid that got himself into trouble all the time or herself or she was kind of smelly or she said the wrong things or didn't understand, or you just didn't like her, whatever the case may be. But somewhere along the line, somebody realized the love of God is even for that person that we don't want to be around. And they are invited into the journey with God just as we are. 
You see, God is the only true God. But he says, it's not my will that any would perish. And he left it for the church, us, to go out and do it. He says, if we don't do it, the rocks will cry out. He doesn't need us. He invites us. And he invites us to obey. So I want you to pause for a moment. And I want you to think about people that you know that might need to know the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And I want you to take this sheet of paper. Fancy, isn't it? And I want you to write their name on it. And then go stick this somewhere. If you read your Bible every day, stick it in there. And I trust that you read your Bible every day. I know you all look in the mirror every day, or I hope you do. Tape it to your mirror. But put it somewhere where you are committing to pray for and walk alongside whomever that person or those people are. And say, I am going to be a disciple maker. I'm not going to hope that Pastor Dan, he's the discipleship pastor. I'm not going to hope he does it. I'm going to do it. And I know that God is going to equip me and give me all that I need to successfully do that which he's called me to. You've got a 37-year-old pastor that feels unqualified every Sunday, but we trust the Holy Spirit's going to teach me something. Why can't we trust God to guide us as we seek to make disciples for his kingdom? And when we do, look at what we're inviting people into. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Death is destroyed and it's sent into the fiery lake. Revelation 20:14. Mourning caused by death and sin. But it's also ironically the eternal experience of it for those who love sin. It's gone. No more mourning for those in Christ. Crying, it's gone. No more. Pain, it's gone. Some of you are living with chronic pain and can't wait to be set free from that. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is our sanctifier. He sets us apart for His work. And He's our healer. He will heal us. He might not heal us according to our time. My dear friend Wilson, my dear friend David, they were taken to be with Jesus earlier than I wanted them to be. But they are healed and they're not looking back. But for us here, we look forward to him restoring all things to new. And Jesus is not only those things, but he's our coming king. He is coming back. May we not leave anyone behind. May we be so compelled by an eternal perspective that we're not padding our bank account except to write a blank check to God saying, take my life and let it be poured out for you. There will be no more tears in eternity. For those outside of Christ, their souls are thrown into a fiery lake and they will suffer forever. Makes the first death seem easy. Why would we want that for anybody? Our apathy is the same as telling someone we hope they die without knowing Jesus Christ. Our love compels us to say, have you met Jesus? Let me tell you about the hope that I have in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the promise of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. May we live 
as Christ died, giving ourselves to making sure everyone knows who you are and how great your glory is. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that makes disciples of all nations, that we wouldn't tell you what we can't do, but we would ask you how could you do immeasurably more than we could think or fathom. Lord, we love you. Transform us today, we pray. Amen. Let us all stand for our closing song. Let's sing this song, This Kingdom.